If you have your Bibles, please come back with me to the passage that we read together from Luke chapter 16. And my message this morning is the crafty manager or preparing for the unknown future. Preparing for the future, a lesson from the crafty manager. That's my description of him. As we've read this parable, I'm sure there's been things in there that have puzzled you a little bit. It is not one of the easiest parables of the Lord Jesus to understand. And I I don't um, claim to understand every minor part of it. But I believe that we can clearly see the main messages that are coming out of this parable. Now Luke, I believe, means us to read this parable against the background of the previous chapter, the parables of the lost things, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. And you remember that those parables were delivered by the Lord Jesus, particularly addressing the religious Jews of his age. And the religious Jews were rebuked by the Lord Jesus because they had no spiritual concern for the well-being of those who are lost and did not know God. And I believe that this parable clearly links to those preceding parables because the Lord Jesus is speaking to people, uh, many people in in the audience, who have divided loyalties. The religious Jews particularly were often wealthy and upper class and they despised those who didn't have the advantages they did, but they themselves did not love the Lord with all their heart and soul and strength. And the evidence of that was because they didn't love their neighbour as themselves. And also the disciples were always there listening to the Lord Jesus and remembering his words. And there were lessons for disciples in the parables that Jesus taught. So let's try and understand the parable. The story is about an estate manager whose wealthy boss calls him in to submit the accounts. In today's terms, the manager is called in to hand over the books and clear out your desks. I've heard things about your managership. The manager knows that the accounts will reveal he's been acting inappropriately and he's going to face instant dismissal. But he is not dismissed immediately. He has time to conduct a few more hasty transactions before he loses his job. Now the situation would appear to be this that the manager is in control of the master's resources and was able to transact business in the name of the owner he worked for. That, of course, would require trust. The debtors were almost certainly merchants who had received the rich landowner's Uh, 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 rich landowners' crops on credit. So the manager knows that he's not acted uprightly 
and he says to himself, what am I going to do now? My master's taking thy job, and he knows he's not up to manual work. He's not got the physique for manual work. He wants a desk job. He uh, is ashamed to beg. Perhaps he knows uh, what it said in the non-canonical book, Ecclesiasticus, it's better to die than to beg. So, he's in a dilemma. But upon reflection, he comes up with an ingenious idea. He's going to cook the books. He's going to have a plan that's going to bring him popularity in the community with the debtors, and he's going to provide a secure future for himself. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job, people will welcome me into their homes. It's a risky idea. But if it works, it's going to work well for him. So he calls in the debtors. And they come in one by one. And he gets them to change their bills. So he called in uh, the first. How much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. Manager says, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Wow. That's a 50% reduction. Half of his debt is written off. Some people say it's a, the, the produce of 146 olive trees a year. Then he asked the second one. How much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. He replied, take your bill and alter it to 800. Second debtor can't stop smiling. He rewrites his bill uh, down to 800 and he gets a reduction of 20% in his debt. The debtors were very happy to cooperate. And the background to the story is probably the uh, Jewish law of usury. Jews were forbidden to take interest from fellow Jews. There are rules and laws in the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy. But crafty managers and landowners found a way round it. When they wrote agreements, they would inflate the figure, adding on extra commodities. And that would not show as interest, but show as commodities which didn't exist. That is what some of the commentators believe was going on here. So, that's what's happened. The manager goes to the master and he hands in the books with the new bills. And the man, the landowner, immediately sees what has been going on. Now, it's not entirely clear who lost out the most, whether the steward was having the cut, or whether the landowner was having to endure a cut. That's not made clear by the parable, and is not very important. But the thing is, the amazing reaction of the landowner. It suggests, probably, it's the manager who's taking the biggest hit. He commends the manager for what he's done. He could see exactly what was going on, he could see that by reducing everyone's bill, the manager, who was going to be out of a job, would find that former, de former debtors were going to be feeling obliged to him. 
And if he got nowhere to live when he was thrown out of his tied cottage, or he had got no money to pay his rent, those who'd had a big cut on their debt would perhaps give him a home and a roof under his head. These revised terms have left him facing a brighter future. And the manager's skill at self-preservation is almost breathless. And that's why we read the master commended the dishonest manager because he'd acted shrewdly. Now remember this is a parable of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is not commending the man's sharp dealings. The Lord is far from encouraging underhandedness and dishonesty. No, what's highlighted here is this man's ingenuity and shrewdness in finding a solution to his problem. So what are the lessons that the Lord Jesus is teaching us and was teaching the people in his day? The Lord Jesus, I'm sure, is telling us all that we must think about their future. You see, this this manager's problem was, if I lose my job, what am I going to do? Prospects don't look very bright for me. I'm not up to manual labour. Shameful to beg. What am I going to do in the future? Lord Jesus applies the lesson. He says, The people of this world are more shrewd in their dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. The Lord Jesus is picking out two classes of people here. The people of the world. He's talking about these proud, legalistic, self-righteous Jews that are listening in. They're busy making money. They are... Good business people, perhaps. They're doing well. That's what their life revolves around. Okay, they're going to keep one day in seven to to go to worship. They're going to outwardly keep the laws of the land. But their real interest is getting on in life and doing well and having a good life. Their sole concern is with the here and the now. For them, the future is later years, retirement. They've got no thoughts of the afterlife or the judgment of God. They're only planning and doing well for this time and space that they're in now. That's the people of the world. The people of the light are those who've been illuminated by the light of God's word and the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their their mind and their understanding is filled with truth that's illuminated their thinking and their values. And they are centred on pleasing God. And and they're preparing to meet God. And to be with Him in heaven when they die. They're the people of the light. They are also planning for the future. But they're planning for the future that comes when they have to leave this world and go and meet God. And the Lord Jesus is saying the people of the world actually plan and work for the future. Though they can't see anywhere beyond their death. The Lord Jesus says the people of the light 
know that they're made in the image of God and God has put eternity in their heart and they've got a soul that lives eternally. And they are planning for the day when they leave this world and they meet God and they face the judgment of God. I think the Lord Jesus is driving that home both to the self-righteous Jews and to the disciples who are actually people of light and doing that. They're concerned about spiritual well-being, not simply material well-being. Is that where we are in our lives this morning? Thinking about the future and preparing for the fact that we're going to meet God. I think that's the first point. I think the second point the Lord Jesus is making to us here this morning is that we are to be people who put to good use what God gives us. Or in other words, uh, we act like good stewards. Let me read it again. I tell you, use worldly wealth. I I believe the modern uh, NIV gives a better translation. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. So that when it's gone, gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, just as a dishonest manager saved people money in the hope that they would be welcome him into their homes in the future when he had no money, so many of God's people who've been honest and been generous with their money will find that when they leave this life, they will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The people of the light have a home in heaven, a place preserved for them. Jesus is saying there are going to be people in heaven who will welcome those who have been generous. If we read 1 Timothy 6.18, Paul says to believers, Let believers do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Storing up a good foundation for the time to come, eternal life. The Lord Jesus in Matthew says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. What the Lord Jesus is surely indicating to us is our stewardship of what God has given us. We can give, we can loan, we can use our gifts, we can use our homes. One thing we're absolutely sure of is all the things that we own and possess and even value in this life we can't hang on to. We've got to leave behind. And we've got to leave them to somebody. And Martin Luther, in commenting on this verse, says this. We must use the things on earth in the way a guest at a hotel does. You see on the news, there was somebody who stayed in a hotel and marched away with a lot of the things that belonged to the hotelier. And she managed to snap them and put them on Facebook. Serves them right, rather. Um, we must use the things on earth in the way a guest at a hotel does. He only takes food and only takes drink when he stays in a hotel. 
uh, he, he uh, knows that the property of the host does not belong to him. So we should treat our possessions as if they were not our own and enjoy them only as much as we need them to help our neighbours. The life of the Christian is lodging for the night since we have no permanent city but must journey on to be he- to heaven to be with our family. The quote from Luther reminds us of the temporary nature of so many of the things of our life and the permanent nature of the spiritual riches that the Lord Jesus gives to us. But then the third lesson, I think, is, of course, being trustworthy. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with very much, and whoever's dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you a property of your own? This is a reminder, surely, that God has given us everything we have. God has made us the people that we are. God has given us the gifts that we have. It's God that's given us the opportunities that we have in life. And the general principle that the Lord Jesus is drawing out, out of the unfaithful steward, is the importance of faithfulness to our trust. Faithfulness and reliability and common honesty and uprightness should be the hallmark of a Christian. And it sometimes boils down to very simple things like being dependable, by being reliable, by good timekeeping, by being trusted by everybody. It's a general principle. But there's a general principle that the Lord Jesus is drawing out with regard to money. If you've, been, if you've not been trust, uh, trustworthy <coughs> in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? It's a very bad sign of a person's heart if they are not straightforward in their money dealings. Many of you, most of you, and even you young people, I'm sure, will have heard of the great president um, of America, Abraham Lincoln. And uh, when he was young, he worked in a shop. And uh, he totaled up a woman's bill. I can remember those days I worked in a shop, and I had to do it by hand, you know, and you'd, you'd have all the prices going down the back of an envelope or something like that, and you'd, you'd have to add it all up. It's pretty challenging when you're 16 or 17, and there's people watching you like a hawk. Um, and Abraham Lincoln was doing that. And after this lady paid her bill, she left. And he got a feeling he wasn't quite sure he did it right, so he recalculated and he found out he'd overcharged her. So he shut the shop and he walked three miles to take the excess he'd overcharged back to her. On another day, he inadvertently shortchanged a customer in measuring out half a pound weight of tea leaves. Again, he shut the shop and carried the few ounces of tea to her home. It was really only a paltry amount. 
but he was being strictly honest. The principle was at stake. His own integrity was at stake. And you know how respected he went on to be as the President of the United States of America. Our use of the things of this world, and particularly money matters, are a sign of a good heart, of an upright heart. This is the real evidence that God is at work within us when we are acting uprightly and honestly. And really flowing out of that, Jesus gives us a fourth lesson from this parable. Jesus tells us we cannot serve God and money. Now, uh, I've read to you um, the uh, revised, authorised, the New King James, which is translating money, mammon. And you may not have, if you're young, you may not have immediately understood what that really means. Let me reread it in modern English. No servant can serve two masters. Either we'll hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, the, the word translated money is literally mammon, as has been translated in your version. Now, mammon was the Syrian god of prosperity. Mammon was a god. And what the Lord Jesus is saying, you cannot have mammon as a god and the living God in Christ as your God. You, can, you have to have one or the other. And if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Saviour and your Lord, you cannot have a divided heart. You cannot be loyal to one and loyal to the other at the same time. One matters so much more than the other. Now, of course, that means that we live in a material world and uh, there are times when we have to focus on physical and material things and uh, we have to use our income on property and maintenance and things like that. But having ownership of many things does increase the danger of being too committed to them. And the Lord Jesus is speaking particularly to the Jews. They were religious people. They knew their Bibles. They knew right from wrong. But they still got divided hearts. They weren't putting the Lord first. They didn't love him. They didn't worship him. They were always thinking about their life in the world. Even when they went to worship. Divided loyalties don't work. Judas had divided loyalties. He kept, he was the treasurer. He kept the bag and he helped himself to what was in the bag that belonged to the disciples. Demas tried it. But he forsook the path of discipleship. Ananias tried it. Divided loyalties don't work. God is like a jealous husband. We're told the Lord is a jealous God. A jealous husband won't tolerate his wife going to another man. If he's a man, he'll stand up to it. He won't just turn the other cheek, turn the other way. The Apostle in Romans says, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, 
you are slaves to the one whom you obey. Whether slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. The Lord must be first. We cannot have a divided heart. We must be committed to the Lord Jesus if we belong to him. And this man in the story was devoted to self-interest. What am I going to do? What's my future going to be? And so because he was so concerned about that, he was prepared to act corruptly. One would have wished that he would have acted uprightly. And that would have been a sign of a good heart. And we live in an age where people have their devotions. We've seen a lot of sport this summer. You may have enjoyed some of the spectacular sporting occasions. But one thing that you can be absolutely sure of, the people that have achieved anything have been absolutely devoted to it. They could have not uh, been the great cricketers or the great athletes that they were if they'd not been absolutely devoted to it. And we're never going to be really Christians who are going to really achieve a worthwhile Christian life unless we're devoted to the Lord Jesus. And we must be like that. You cannot serve God in money. Fifthly, and briefly, I think the Lord Jesus is also telling believers that we should be people who show initiative. You see, the man in, in the, the, the manager in Jesus' story is commended. Not commended because he was corrupt and crafty. He was commended because he was ingenious. And he was showing initiative about the future. Now, you and I are people who believe in the absolute sovereignty of God. But we also believe that the Lord has given us responsibility to serve him and to do his will and be obedient and to reach out with the gospel and to find ways of communicating the gospel to our generation. Well, as Paul says in Romans 12, not lagging in diligence fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. You see, we're living in a missionary situation in England now. We used to send missionaries to the dark continent of Africa because they'd never heard the gospel. But it's the people in our streets and our cities that have not heard the gospel now. And we need to find ways and means. And it may be that we use some of the modern technology to find a way of reaching out and, and to getting hold of people's ears so that they can hear the message. And we need to be open and flexible and understand the times in which we live so that we can relate winsomely and effectively and relevantly to our generation. I believe this is commending initiative. And finally, I come back mainly to where I began. This man is surely highlighted because he was sorting out his future prospects. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. Numbers 32. And this man was found out. And he's in trouble. 
and he can't dig himself out. Unless he's got a merciful master. And Jesus' parable tells us that the master commended him and didn't prosecute him. We are like that man. Our sin is real. And it's going to find us out. Unless we can find a merciful Father in heaven. Psalm 86 says, Lord, you are good and ready to forgive and plentiful in mercy to all those who call on you. This man was in a serious situation. And he thought about it. And you and I are in a serious situation if we are not forgiven. If we've not confessed our sin. If we've not repented. If we've not turned to the Lord Jesus. And this man was thinking about his future. The Lord Jesus when he was young, told those who questioned him when he was answering questions, did you not know I must be about my father's business? And that's so important that you and I are about our heavenly father's business. Knowing him, learning of him, praying to him, obeying him. Our young days are an apprenticeship. An apprenticeship for life and an apprenticeship for eternity. Good habits, good principles and a grounding in the truth of the scriptures are what we so need to help and build on for the future. This is the parable, I believe, of the unjust steward or the crafty steward it's a message to you and me this morning to think about the future in a godly way <coughs> to be good stewards of whatever God has given us to be trustworthy and reliable to make sure that we haven't got a divided heart to show initiative concerning the things of God and to make sure that we really are right with the Lord. May he be pleased.